We've been in a teaching series in what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, and this has been in the bigger context of what we've called throughout the entire year, beginning last January, called the Year of Biblical Literacy, or you hear some people maybe once in a while drop in the whole Yobel, if you're like, what in the world is Yobel? Year of Biblical Literacy. Um, that's what that means. So we've been in a year-long um, journey, reading through the entire Bible, but then also having some complementary teachings that go along with it as well. And like I said, now we've landed in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' teaching on what it means to really follow Him, what we would describe as the kingdom of God, big Bible phrase, um, which we've talked about a lot. So what I want to do right now is we're going to read the passage in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. It's a, a passage that many of you may be familiar with. It's on the subject of praying. So how about we all stand, I'll read, and then I will pray, and then we will get to work taking a look at this passage today. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, and to, and to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Well, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is God's word. And so God, we ask you now that you would uh, speak to our hearts. God, give us the ability to hear what you have to say. God, help our lives to, even more importantly, uh, orient ourselves to what you have to say. That this would not just simply be information, but God, it would become a practice. Something that we do, something that transforms and reshapes our lives so that we can become people like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Why don't you all grab a seat? So I want to start this morning by a bit of a recap of what we looked at last week. And so if you were here, a little bit of a recap. It's okay because it's always something we need to keep reminding ourselves. If you weren't here, then hopefully this is new. Um, but Christianity, I mentioned last week, that Christianity, what is Christianity? In short, it's my best attempt to try to answer it from a New Testament perspective. All right. So it's this comprehensive way of life. Pay special note to that. It's a way of life, how you live. But that how you live is actually built upon a, prof- a profession, a truth, an idea, a belief that Jesus is Lord. Or another way to think of that word Lord is the word king, that Jesus is king. So the question then is, how, what would it look like? How does it look like for me to live my life as if Jesus is the sum total authority over everything in my life? How I think, how I act, how I think about vendettas or vengeance or anger or lust or my sexuality or whatever. It, it, it is to reorient the sum total of our lives around whoever Jesus is and whatever Jesus has to say. And so what we had mentioned before that this is all about being a part of this individual and or community which, have this, which has this high aim of ultimately being with Jesus. That's what a Christian is or one who follows Jesus. They want to be with Jesus uh, but we also want to be like Jesus. We want to be the way and act the way that he is, uh, to love others the way that Jesus loves, so even love enemies. That's the shocking enemy love that Jesus has. It's radically different than almost any other type of love or idea that you can think of. 
Um, and then ultimately to do what Jesus does. So again, what does Jesus do? How does Jesus react to people? How does he treat people? We want to, as a follower of Jesus, we want the sum total of all of that in our lives, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus does. That's what a Christian is. Again, like I said, the reason why I want to kind of bifurcate these two, or at least say that they're part of this larger whole, is otherwise what we end up with are people that have this idea that Christianity is nothing more than having sort of the secret passcode, the secret idea, the, the in, information, and that's it. Uh, in other words, that's divorced from how you live your life. And what I'm suggesting to you, that that is foreign to New Testament teaching. For example, James would kind of put it this way. He says, even the demons believe. In other words, these dark forces of the unseen realm, even they believe that Jesus is Lord. But they don't submit to him. They don't want to be with Jesus. They don't want to be like Jesus. They're, they're not interested in having their lives reoriented around Christ and his kingship. They want to reject. They want to rebel. So again, the suggestion that I want to make is that being a follower of Jesus is both of these things, not one or the other, but both of these things of having the right profession that Jesus is Lord, but then also having our lives reoriented according to the sum total of this thing we call the gospel. That being said, what we see is that Jesus invites people to follow him. And in this message that we've been looking at called the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has taught this like extensive idea, this concept of what it looks like to follow him and what it looks like to really submit to the leadership, the lordship, Again, a big word, but the lordship, that if God truly is king over my life, and not myself, or not some other entity, but if God truly is king over my life, what does it look like to submit to the lordship, the headship of King Jesus over the sum total of my life? And what I would suggest is what Jesus suggests in this entire sermon. And we see that it affects our morality and our sexuality, where Jesus says, look, just don't go around lusting at people. That that is actually dehumanizing to them. That my followers, Jesus would say, act differently with regard to other people. And even how we think about marriage, how we think about these things. That Jesus would say, there is a way that is not congruent with how I have set the world to be in order. And then there's a way that is in order with that. And what Jesus is inviting us to do is to follow him through all of these areas. Now again, I'll just put it this way. There's enough in the Sermon on the Mount to offend every one of you all right? Every one of you, I don't care what type of spectrum you come from, whether religious or irreligious or left or right, there's enough to offend every one of you, right? So again, it shouldn't be shocking because if Jesus truly is king above and beyond America or even above this world, that would mean his ideas and his way of being human are above what the vision of America is, or they're above the vision of what it means to thrive as a human being on this planet. And that shouldn't be shocking to us, but it should be revelatory to us. It should radically cause us to stop or to pause and to consider and say, how am I living in relation to this, this king? Or am I resisting or fighting? So with that being said, we see that Jesus invites people, and this would also ultimately involve a reformed way of how we practice our lives. This is where Jesus then would begin to go on. He says that when you fast, don't fast like the others. Here's how you should fast. Or when you give, here's how you should give. Don't give the way the others do. But he's inviting us into a new way of having practices that help us to follow him in a way that brings life. One of those ways he invites us to rethink is the subject of prayer. 
So that's what we're going to look at today is the subject of prayer. Now, if you're like me, prayer can be one of those practices that you might wrestle with a lot. Now, again, depending upon where you're at in your journey with God and your following of Him, um, you may have had a rocky relationship with prayer. It may have been something that you've tried before, it didn't really work, or you find it kind of intellectually challenging or uh, difficult to even um, understand, and therefore it's one of those things that you know is part of like uh, the practice, but you don't really engage in it. Um, or there may be other hang-ups that you have. And I, I, what I want to do this morning is I'm going to look at some of the obstacles that we have to prayer and then begin to try to understand it. Now again, I think we all have met people, for the most part, some that really get this concept of prayer. Now their friend list might be pretty small, but I would suggest that if you know people like that, you can call them, I've heard people describe them as like direct line or you know, Jedi Knight praying people. Um, however, they, they're the ones that you go to when things are really tough in your life. You know, hey, here's what's going on in my life. They pray for you. And when they pray, things happen. Um, when they pray, they have this sense of like confidence and faith. There's, you know, um, maybe a grandma or maybe a good friend or somebody like that. They're always to some degree like in touch or in contact with God. And when they pray, like I said, radical things take place. So for most of us, though, I think probably most of us, we would look in and say, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> um, my relationship, or you might say your relationship to prayer is, is far more nuanced and far maybe even more rocky. And I would, I would recognize that in a lot of ways, I've gone through my own challenges with this as well. So what I would hope to do this morning is to try to at least address some of the obstacles that we face, because at the end of the day, praying is part of what Jesus says, here's what my followers do. So again, this is where I would just go back and say that if praying is something that we don't do, for whatever reason, whatever objections that we might have, whatever obstacles might be there, my hope would be that we would at least be able to address some of the obstacles so that we can then become praying people. That's, that's my, my big objective today. How are we doing? Ready to go? All right, let's do this. So I want to look at basically three main obstacles to prayer and then begin to just try to address them. Uh, or at least Jesus addressed them as we just kind of read. The first of which would be, I would just describe it as intellectual, that it doesn't make sense, so we therefore ignore it. It's this idea of like, I, I can't comprehend how this works. In fact, some of the things that Jesus might even say about prayer seem a little bit confusing. And so therefore, because I don't understand it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, um, I just don't do it. Uh, the second of which is experiential, which would mean that maybe to some degree it didn't accomplish what I had hoped, so therefore I resist it. In other words, this is somebody that would say, I tried praying before, I invested a season of my life in prayer, it didn't work, it didn't accomplish what I had hoped, so therefore I just, I just don't do it. Um, thirdly is what I would describe as relational, and a relational obstacle, which is we have a really hard time really truly imbibing or believing that God is who Jesus claims God is. When Jesus describes him as a father, we find that a little bit challenging to swallow um, for a number of reasons or hang-ups or baggage that oftentimes we can even bring to the Bible itself. But my hope would be that for us to maybe some degree uh, locate ourselves on the spectrum and ask, are any of these obstacles uh, the things that are hindrances to me? I mean, there's other ones like I just don't have time, but time can sometimes play into some of these as well. Sometimes those can just be convenient excuses. But what, hopefully this would land us somewhere on the map where all of us can somehow associate with something along these lines. So that being said, let's jump in and begin to take a look at the intellectual obstacle, that this idea that doesn't make sense, therefore I just simply don't do it. 
So listen to Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. This is where Jesus goes on, and we've got to go backwards a little bit, again, to the very first time where Jesus begins to address the subject of prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus says. When you pray, I'm going to stop right there for a second and just say that what Jesus is suggesting is that prayer, whatever this is, whatever praying is, is not something that's ancillary. It's not necessary. It, it, is, it is something that Jesus' disciples do. So again, just to, without driving this home too much, to just, again, pause and reflect and ask, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I never pray, or my relationship to prayer is strained, I have to back up a little bit and just ask, why? What, what is causing me to not enter into this very thing that Jesus says when, when you pray? Not if you pray, but when you pray. So with that being said, he goes on, he says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to the Father who is in secret. So his first instruction in this particular context, go to a place that you're not obviously being seen. The idea is not to say don't ever pray in public. Um, the idea is to say don't pray in such a way that you're making a big spectacle of it. So obviously that would be the wrong way. Jesus says those that pray in some form of a fashion to try to highlight their spirituality um, or religion or religious you know, uh, followings, whatever. But he says, don't, don't pray like that. That's not a prayer that I will necessarily take any respect towards. Then he goes on to say, and your father who sees in secret will then reward you. Verse 7, he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have needed before you ask. I'll come back to that in a second, but just let's look at verse 7 again, where he goes on to say, for they think by many words um, that God will respond. He says, don't be like the Gentiles. Now, I don't know how you read or interpret or think about when Jesus is saying, don't be like the Gentiles. Some of us might read that in a very derogatory type of a sense. Don't be like those horrible, evil, wicked people. That's not at all what Jesus is meaning. The word Gentile just simply means don't be like those that are, that are not in relational covenant to, to Yahweh, um, those that are, that are not part of the family of Father Abraham. Um, and he says that they, they pray, but the way that they pray is a way that is different. He's inviting them to think about prayer in a different way. And it's, it's just an interesting like, little um, detail. He says they heap up massive amounts of words. So again, this is another little myth, I think, to, to dispel or to think about. Um, I know for me, when I first became a Christian, I started reading all these books. People were handing me books, and I was reading them, and, or trying to read them. I was never like a really good book reader, but I remember reading books like on prayers, a guy named Andrew Murray, and Ian Bounds, and other guys like David Livingston, and George Mueller, and other, you know, I'm just throwing out a bunch of names, of, of people that prayed a lot. And I, one of the first um, ideas that I had to think about the formation of prayer for me was you got to pray long, otherwise it's just like, that's, I mean, that's like, varsity league praying and i'm like i i can do that i'll do that i'll join sign me up like i'll join the varsity praying team and and which means i got to pray for a really really long time so at least for me i had this idea that prayer equals long periods of time devoted to praying whatever that looks like i know for some of us that may be an idea that we have in the back of our mind and so what we do immediately even before we begin to enter into the practice of it we're like i just don't have time I can barely get to church on time. I can barely even like, go to a small group. I can barely, and I just don't have time for long periods of, of praying. And the, the point that I'd make is this, is that there's a tendency to think that praying 
the way that Jesus invites us to pray involves long spaces of time. I can, but in short, what Jesus is saying is that, look, when you pray, and then he goes on and gives them what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, which it's the prayer of Jesus. You know, the, our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven others. And then if you have the King James rendition, it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory both now and forever and ever. Amen. So that, that whole thing took me like what? 30 seconds? 45 seconds? I, I think to begin someplace is to just pray that prayer that Jesus says, pray this. Pray like this. Again, this has kind of been this question that's been raised by a lot of people throughout the ages is, is Jesus giving a model or a template to say, hey, when you pray, make a model. Let this be the model of the template and then pray something that is somewhat according to the categories here. Or is Jesus inviting us to pray what he just gave us? And I like to say that the answer to that is, is yes. It's both. It can be both. But start somewhere. Start just by praying the prayer. So I think the idea of just praying, first and foremost, is just an invitation to just enter in and to pray to God. And we'll talk more about that in a second here. But what I want to circle back to is this last little section here when he goes on to say, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you have need of even before you ask, therefore, pray. So did you pay attention to that last sentence? In some ways, it's, it's odd. Jesus, here's, again, I'll just repeat it. Jesus says, your Father already knows what you have need of before you even ask, so pray. What? Why? If he already knows what I have need of, then why pray? Is that a redundancy? Do you see where we're coming back into this, what I would call conventional wisdom, basically says, this is ridiculous. This seems silly. If God already knows what we have need of, why bother praying? If he is a good father, like Jesus is going to elaborate and state, then wouldn't the good father already give us what we need without us having to be brought into some sort of habit or practice we call prayer. Apparently, what Jesus is operating on is not conventional wisdom, but unconventional wisdom. Apparently, the way that God is trying to help us to think about what he is up to in this world is not in accordance to typically our own ability to logically and intellectually reason things through. In other words, let me put it this way. Apparently, the way that the God of the Bible has chosen to make things work in this world is through what we would call covenant or partnership. Or in other words, if you want just the modern terminology, relationship. That God actually is interested in having relationship with you. The God who created you, the God who created your ability to breathe, the God who created oxygen to match with your ability to breathe. Apparently, again, I'm just simply tapping into the scriptural, biblical narrative, Apparently, this God loves you, cares about you, invites you to come to him. It's this image of a father and a son, which Jesus is going to tap into in just a moment here, that God actually wants to be in such relational dialogue with you and I, that even though he knows everything that we have need of, he wants us to ask him, because he's interested in relationship. Just ponder that for a moment. Again, like I said, if all we're simply doing is interested in intellectual or trying to make sense in a conventional sense, this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But if we are interested in obeying and following Jesus as king, because he is king, 
then what we can do then is see and hear and respond to the promptings of God to say, if you are inviting me to ask, then I'll ask. I'll step into that. So the first reason why I think a lot of times we don't pray is because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And again, this kind of raises all sorts of other questions that we just don't have time to go down this rabbit hole, is this idea of if God knows everything, does he predetermine everything? Or what about if God, is there another spectrum that maybe God does not know everything? He's like a master chess player, but he's really, really good at last minute moves to somehow strategize another end result. That there's this spectrum that a lot of times scholars and theologians and historians throughout these ages have tried to make sense of this. And again, without going down the rabbit hole of either one of these things, I would just simply say this, is that Jesus invites us to just trust the Father and to ask Him. That later, the New Testament would say, you have not because you ask not. Because you, you, you ask to spend it on your own selves, to, to simply build something for yourself. But Jesus then says, ask and you'll be given. That, again, this is not blank check theology, all right, what some like to describe. This is not just God doing anything and everything that we want. Remember, this is not God is your personal genie. This is God as king. And apparently this God who's king is also a father, and his father loves you. And his father knows everything apparently that you have need of. And the way that he chooses to respond to the things that are happening in your life, transpiring in your life, the anxieties that you face, the challenges that you are oftentimes in the midst of is to invite you to come to him and to ask of him. That make sense? So, next obstacle is what I would describe as this experiential obstacle. And I would basically create a spectrum here. On the one hand, we have one end of the spectrum, which is, again, like I mentioned, like I have written up here, it didn't accomplish what I had hoped, and so therefore, I've just kind of shelved this experience or habit called praying, or on the other end of the spectrum is that um, it makes sense to some degree. You're like, yeah, I get it. My grandma was really into praying, or somebody very distant I heard of was a real prayer warrior, or I read a book or two on prayer, but I just don't have the habit of praying. It's too busy. I don't have the experience. It sounds like this lofty ideal. It's kind of like running a marathon. I absolutely respect people that run a marathon. Do I ever want to run a marathon? Absolutely not. I'm not, re- I'm not crazy. <laughs> but I have respect for you that want to do that. Like, that's amazing. That's like major respect for you. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to train myself to run a marathon because it's just something that I, I don't think I'll do. I mean, who knows? Maybe a year from now I might change my mind. But the point of the matter is this, is prayer is kind of like that, I think, in some ways. We, we have these lofty ideas about it. It's awesome. Maybe it's awesome for you. It's awesome for my grandma. It really worked for her. But for me, just don't have a daily ritual or practice to be able to engage with it. Um, and again, it may happen to be to do some to some degree with trying it in the past, but not really working. So let's address that. So as we go on to reading this, I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 7, kind of back into the text that we've been reading. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. So what Jesus is inviting us to do is to, in light of our bad experience, to try it. To keep asking. The, the word that's actually used there in the Greek for ask, seek, and knock is like this repetitive. Keep asking. Don't just ask once, but keep asking. Keep seeking, which is kind of like asking 
on steroids. It's the next layer of investigation of saying, I'm going to look and search and search out answers repeatedly because something that I need or something that I want is, is worth me investing energy into obtaining it. And then keep knocking is the idea. Don't just knock once or twice and then walk away, discourage, but keep knocking. I would suggest that many of us, um, our experiences are based upon faulty assumptions. And here's what I mean. We have this assumption that if I just you know, devote a certain amount of time, or even if we uh, combine that with fasting, we have this expectation that, that then maybe God will give me what I want. Again, we're back to the genie in the bottle, God mentality. He's not our genie. He's king. And he's, he's not there to be done, to be used at our disposal. He is a father that loves us, that invites us into a relational connectivity with him to pray, to seek him, to ask of him. That the heart of prayer, as I mentioned earlier, I think I mentioned earlier, is, is asking. Like, if you look at all the things that Jesus is instructing us to pray, at the heart of it, prayer is asking. It's asking God for something. It's asking God to take care of us. It's asking God for our daily bread. It's asking God for whatever it is that we need. It's asking God to bring his kingdom to this planet as it is in heaven. It's asking. It's inviting God to do something for us on our behalf that we are incapable or unable to do on our own. And so what we see is that I think many of us, if we approach prayer with this false assumption that prayer is this technique, that if I do it the right way or do it the right amount of time or do it in combination of like, you know, hyper stream prayer by fasting, then somehow I'll get results. And when we don't get the results that we want, then we get angry. We get upset with God and we walk away. We either walk away from God or we look at the tool, the vehicle that God's given us to interact with him called prayer and we just shelf it. Now, it didn't work. Why keep doing something that doesn't work? So I just shelf it. But I can't get rid of it entirely because apparently for some people this works, but not apparently for all. You, you following? So I suggest is that maybe it's a matter of us rethinking about our approach, how we have thought about it in the first place. That if it is about this relational connectivity that we have with God, that this involves asking that God is found, apparently, according to Jesus, through this process of repeated asking. He doesn't hide ourselves. He doesn't hide himself from us somehow as, as a joke to us. He, he oftentimes wants us to interact with him by way of relationship. Now again, if you ever get lost in the story of the Bible, one of the best things to always do is just reground yourself going back to page 1 and 2. And one of the things you'll discover, first and foremost, in page 1 and 2 of the Bible, is that how Yahweh created all things. He created all things as king. God is king over all. He is creator and CEO of the entire cosmos, and especially over planet Earth. And what God did is he actually called Adam and Eve, human beings, to become his chief managers over this planet. That God's invitation was to work with, to collaborate with Adam and Eve. But they were given the entrustment to govern, to lead. What ends up happening is they have their authority usurped by the devil, and they end up giving over, redistributing the leadership over to uh, the brokenness that now our world is currently underneath. But the point that I would make is that God's aim at the very beginning was partnership. Again, like I said, if you want a biblical term, it's covenant. God wants covenant with his people. And the means by which God wants to bring about his purposes in this world is through prayer. It's his vehicle that he calls us to. And the last thing I would just say with regard to this, obst- this idea of, of praying 
this obstacle of experience is that, again, we might not always understand it, but just because we don't always understand it, just because it may not always make sense to us, doesn't mean that it should be something that we shelf. Because the fact of the matter is, and that's, that's not being intellectually you know, honest with a lot of things within our lives, because the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of things that we really just don't understand in this life, and yet we do. But what we're invited to do is just trust God in this relationship and create new experiences of trusting him in prayer. Which leads me to the last thing I want to say with regard to this, is Jesus actually tells us how to pray. And I alluded to this earlier, that in what we would call the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, he not only gives us a template to pray other prayers that can be in consistency with that, but also just the prayer to pray. I mean, just to pray the prayer. Now again, for me, I grew up in a very religious tradition that we would pray the prayer every single week. So I remember as a young follower of Jesus, a young Christian that came out of that tradition, I remember thinking, the Lord's Prayer, like praying to our Father, is so routine, so traditional, and I'm not going to do it. I remember making this decision in my mind, like, I'm not going to pray it because it's so routine and so just, just, it's just this idea of just a mundaneness, and it's lost its capacity to actually impact me. And for many, many years, I just was like, the thought of actually praying the Lord's Prayer is kind of like very religious. And so for me, I had to like unlearn certain bad habits that I had learned. So for me today, I just, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a pulling back of the veil to kind of understand how I feel like God has been trying to re-show me how to re-implement new practices of prayer in my own life. And hopefully it's helpful for you. If not, then um, just tune it out. But here's what I would suggest, is in ancient Jewish traditions, and again, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus would have been familiar with these traditions. In fact, Jesus likely would have actually done these very things is it would have been common for Jews to have prayed three times a day. Morning prayers, noon prayers, evening prayers. We even see in the book of Acts that Peter describes, Luke tells us the story of Peter. He said, when he went to the temple at the hour of prayer. Why? Well, of course, to go pray. Why? Because he's Jewish. So Jews do. They pray three times a day. And so for me, again, this idea of tradition was something I was resistant for or from of for a very long time. But because I've become so untethered from some of these habits or traditions, I've just not done what the practices are. So the reality, though someone would ask me, what do you think about prayer? I'd be like, prayer is awesome. How often do you pray? Not enough, apparently. Like, that, that's been, that would be my habit, you know, for many, many years. But I would suggest what I've been trying to do over the past several months or a year or plus is to re-implement new habits in my life. So here's where I've been landing of recent that's been really helpful for me. So what I've done is I've actually set my reminders app in my phone that three times a day, it just goes off and says morning prayer. Then I have one that does midday prayer. And then I have one in the evening. It says evening prayer. Now, again, this is not like me being like, hey, bro, I got to go like, go hang someplace else. I got to go pray. To me, it's, I might be standing, sometimes when I do this, uh, you might be in really odd places that when the app goes off. So I might be standing in line at Trader Joe's and it says midday prayer. So in that moment, I just like focus my thoughts, my heart, my mind to Yahweh and I just pray to our Father. It's just in my heart. I don't say it out loud, of course, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I just pray it quietly. That'd be weird if I did anyhow. And I would just say, our Father, who is in heaven, your name is holy. And what I find that when I'm just praying that, sometimes in odd places, 
not only is it an invitation on my behalf of God help me to become something that you want to use, a conduit, an agent that you want to use in this space, whether it be in line at Trader Joe's or wherever, but God, I want to be an agent through whom your kingdom comes into this world as a representative of the king. And again, I'm, this is not long prayer. This is not like four-hour prayer time, guys. I'm canceling out, bailing. Just go pray. This is like a 45 seconds of just, Jesus, you're here. You love me. You provide for me. You invite me to forgive others as I've been forgiven. And sometimes when I'm praying that, the thoughts of people might come to my mind that I may be wrestling through unforgiveness with, and when their face flashes in front of my brain, then I remember that that may be an invitation from God to actually pray for that person. God, help me. Help me to keep in the forefront that I'm forgiven and that I want to forgive. Again, we're talking, this, this might be a minute long, it might be several minutes, depending upon how much length of time I have, but what I'm saying is that it's a, it's a practice. It's something that we devote to. It's something that we look at as a muscle. And so for many of us, this notion of actually praying will never get done unless we actually decide to say, I want to implement something, some time, some space in my day, in my week, rhythmically, where I actually do it. So there you go. That's how I do it. If it's helpful, cool. If not, then um, I'm sure there's others that would be more helpful. But that's the point. It's a muscle that needs to be exercised. And like with any form of exercise, it's easy to procrastinate. It's easy to put it off. It's easy to turn over in bed. It's easy to hit the alarm clock. It's easy to just do something else. It's easy to eat a nice big meal. It's easy to watch television, right? You get the idea. Praying is the exact same thing. So lastly, I'm going to look at this idea of this relational obstacle. So for some, when we think about Jesus's definition or description of who God is, we may struggle with that. Again, I realize for some, this idea, this notion of Jesus saying, God is like a father. So for some of you guys, you have deep daddy wounds where the family of origin that you came from has not been a good dad that has demonstrated kindness, or maybe even worse, has been abusive. But what I would suggest is what Jesus is inviting us to do, as with the whole Christian life, is to look at things with a new lens, in particular the idea of who God is. So I don't know how you think about God, what type of framework would you think about God, the perspectives that you have about God in your mind, but my hope would be that you would be invited to see God in a new light through the way in which Jesus defines, through a way in which Jesus invites us to rethink about who God is. So listen to what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 7, again, going back to the text, let Jesus describe for us what God is like. And just listen to it from that angle. And then we'll wrap this up. He says of this, Of which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? <laughs> All right. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? I think probably the audience to whom Jesus was addressing, when they heard that, they probably laughed. Because it sounds kind of ludicrous. Like, who, what father, what decent human being would give their child who asks for something good, something that is worthless or worse, actually harmful. And again, what Jesus goes on to say, he kind of drops the bomb on them a little bit. He goes on to say, if you then, 
are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who's in heaven give good gifts to you? So again, Jesus is an interesting thing. Jesus acknowledges the fact that, look, humanity is pretty broken. It's pretty messed up. And even though you guys are broken and messed up people, even though your understanding of justice and righteousness may be broken and messed up and need major recalibration, in spite of all of that, you have to some degree an understanding that you give children the things that they ask for. Not every time, not everything, right? Kid asks for ice cream for dinner. You probably should say no. But the point of the matter is, he says, this father knows how to give good gifts. If you, as broken, flawed human beings, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father, who's in heaven, know how to give good gifts to you? So the invitation from Jesus is to re-see, to look at God in a new light. So my question for you is, do you see God in that light? This may be a good moment for you to take inventory of your life and to ask, how do you see God? What type of framework, what type of filter do you have in your mind's eye when you think about who God is? Again, like I said, if for many of us, if your idea about God is that he is angry with you or he's mildly disgusted with you, do you realize that will be a major obstacle to you go rushing into his room and spending any time with him? And as a follower of Jesus... If you have this notion that says, I don't want to have anything to do with God, because I'm absolutely terrified of him, the invitation is to see God in a new light the way Jesus invites us to. As a father who actually loves us, who cares for us, who has good things for us. And that sometimes when we pray, or I should say always when we pray, God always answers. And God typically answers in one of three ways, where he either says yes, says no, or he says, maybe later. But this is how God answers. And what I want to do is I want to invite you to look at one final thing as I close, as I land this plane, to consider. Because there's a tendency for many of us, again, like I said, my hope would be to address some of these obstacles that we have, for us to think about them, for us to consider them, and then maybe for us to then begin to rethink about how we approach this practice of prayer, maybe even hopefully reorient our lives in such a way where we begin to implement new practices, new patterns throughout our day to begin to pray. But for many of us, that thought is just like, I don't know. Because I've asked God for a lot of things, and he feels very aloof or distant or keeps saying no to me. Because every request I make always keeps getting shut down, or at least that's what it feels like. And for you, there is this deep emotional anxiety that goes along with the subject of prayer that is there. It's tangible. My hope would be that you would begin to see God in a new light that says even in spite of the fact that he from time to time may resist your prayers in a sense of saying yes or an affirming way or say no in some cases, or say later in some cases, this is not God saying, I reject you. And the greatest example that we can look at is the story of Jesus. And I want to read you, and I'm going to have the worship team come on up right now as we kind of finish this up. And I want to just read you the passage of Jesus as he prays, as he goes before the Father, as he begins to seek God, just the very thing that Jesus is inviting us to do. But in Jesus' prayer time, 
the type of response that he actually gets from his father. I just want you to listen to it. I want you to listen to the mood. I'm going to read it actually out of the message. It's uh, more of a, less of a translation, more of just kind of a, an interpretation of it. But I want you to listen to it because I think there's a good job of just kind of capturing the mood or the essence of what's happening here in the story. So if you want, um, how about we all just stand? And if you want, you can close your eyes to just think about this. It's, uh, I think I do have it up on the screen. But I want you to just listen to the request that Jesus makes in his prayer to the Father and what happens. Listen. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a garden called Gethsemane. And then he told his disciples, stay here for a while while I go over there and I begin to pray. And taking along with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he then plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then he said, this sorrow is crushing my life. Stay here and keep prayer with me. Going on a little ahead, he felt then on his face and he began to pray, Father, if there is any way, get me out of this. Please, not what I want, but I want what you want. If you're familiar with the story, this is Jesus just before the cross. He knows what the cross is all about. He knows the type of agonizing death that's about to befall him. And he goes to the Father. He's doing the very same thing that he's saying, hey, when you pray, he's doing himself. And he's praying, Father, if there's any way for you to do what you want to do through me in this world that I can circumvent dying on the cross, please. He's making a request. And the Father's response was denial. God said, no, there is no other way. Was this response of the Father a way of saying, I abhor you, my son. I reject you, my son. I resist you, my son. No, quite the opposite. Because even though Jesus went to the cross, three days later, the Father honored the Son by resurrecting him from the grave. Do you realize this is the Christian life? This is what Christianity is. It's God inviting us to trust Him, to trust the Father in spite of life's circumstances, in spite of the moments when God says, no, my child, to your requests. Or later, later might be 30 years later, but in the end, we're invited to recognize that we have favor. We've been accepted by this God that loves us because of Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. My hope today would be your understanding of prayer may have been expanded or maybe turned upside down or maybe in at least, if anything, a, a door was open, just a crack to where you begin to see it as, as a vehicle to enter into relationship with this God that absolutely, absolutely loves you. So I'm going to pray now, and then we will respond by singing, by partaking of communion. I don't know where you're at, what types of circumstances you're going through in this life, but my hope would be that in this moment that we have together here, that we would turn our hearts to this God that loves us. Uh, If you're here and you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life, any challenges you're facing, any letdowns you found yourself struggling or dealing with. We want to pray for you. That's what we're all about. We're a family. 
that is committed to walking alongside each other. So whatever it is, we'd love to pray with you. Sickness, doubts, discouragement, anger, bitterness, whatever. Cynicism. Jesus loves you and he invites you to bring these things to him and let him reshape your heart. So let's, let me pray and we'll sing. Jesus, thank you for your love and we respond to you and to your initiation as we eat the bread, as we drink the cup, we're reminded we're invited to a table. This is how profoundly great your love is for us. So we want to come and feast on your goodness.